This first Sunday of a new year, we begin a new series of studies, messages from God's Word. And this morning, I would have you turn to the first letter the Apostle Peter gave to us as God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I suppose one disadvantage to having a pulpit at ground level with the rest of you is how many of you about the third or fourth row back can effectively hide behind the head of another person. And I just thrive on eye contact. So uh, if you do a little of this throughout these next moments together, I'll be able to touch base with all of your precious faces as together we look to the Word of God. I'd like to read the first three verses of First Peter chapter 1, and have you follow along. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. If you don't have that, you'll have a few words that differ here and there, but the message, I'm sure, will come forth. First Peter chapter 1, the first three verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May God add his special blessing to the reading of his word. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil. Now, many of you, no doubt, recognize those sober words from the pen of Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. From his classic, A Tale of Two Cities. But for the child of God, living in what may seem like the most uncertain of times, we have 
the Word of God. Really a tale of two cities. Now, not as Dickens understood it, but a story about truth. The truth concerning our situation in time and even for eternity. It was St. Augustine who rightly discerned that the Bible, in effect, was a tale of two cities. The city of man and the city of God. And in this critical hour of our own existence, we hear the words of Jesus tell his redeemed, the church of the living God, that it is like a shining city set on a hill. So that even as darkness would fall around us, we who have trusted in Christ would shine all the brighter for His glory. These dark times, these turbulent times, at this time, it is the people of God who have the greatest opportunity to shine and bring Him glory. And so on this first Lord's Day of a new year, we launch into what I call the deep waters of the Apostle Peter's first epistle. And I remind you, he writes to those whose temporal lives were actually in chaos. He writes to those who were losing homes and livelihood. He writes to those forsaken by family members just because of their faith. He writes to those who struggle to remain faithful in a culture and under a government extremely hostile to the teachings of Christ, hostile to Christ himself and toward all his followers. Peter, who was once, you remember, the fisher of men, now in later life gives us this letter and seeks to shepherd the flock of God, to remind them, as this sermon series declares, they have a living hope, even in the worst of times. My uh, prayerful expectation in preparing these studies in the weeks to come, as we study Peter and his letter, that we the people of God will be refreshed and made full of hope and joy. My prayer is that we will see Jesus himself more clearly, the way Peter presents him, as lamb, as shepherd, as overseer, as the sacrifice, as our substitute, to see him as the Savior and Lord that he is. Struggling as we do with temptation. In this letter, we will find encouragements to holy living. And we will be strengthened by God's grace. Right now, if you're suffering for something you didn't do. Or perhaps that you did do. And there are consequences. It is in this letter that we will find perspective and Assurance for when we're in the right, and sometimes 
when we have to humbly confess we've been in the wrong. It's Peter that gives us, in this letter, a clear vision of the church and our place in this world. It's Peter who gives us wisdom even for marriage and in that for every other relationship as well. It's Peter who will encourage us to be a bold witness. That's right, Peter. The not-so-bold witness when the heat was on at one time, but now he will teach us how to witness in a hostile world and to do so with gentleness. Peter will give us important words in the weeks to come about spiritual gifts and our various ministries. Peter will give us guidelines for church leaders as well as its members. Best of all, I think, Peter gives us, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit working through him, an overview of the Christian life for the here and the now and the promise of eternal glories in the presence of Christ. Or in short, Peter gives us hope for tomorrow. And Peter provides us with strength for today. It really is quite an epistle. Just 105 verses comprise this brief New Testament letter. Short as it is, however, we won't rush through it, but savor it, meditate on it, and seek to internalize its truths. I have already been blessed in advance of this first message to have sat and simply read the whole epistle through and more than once. And so I shall continue. And even to do so at one sitting. I'd like to encourage you so that you might receive the full blessing to read First Peter through this week in one sitting. All 105 verses. Take the phone off the hook or whatever you have to do. And then I would suggest for those of you especially committed to the benefits of studying God's Word that you do this even once a week in advance of our gathering here each week in these first months of 2010. Let's pray for an opening of our minds and our hearts, okay, as we begin. Father, the entrance of your words give us light and new life. We marvel how you would choose a simple fisherman like Peter and provide for us a record of his rather tumultuous spiritual journey. And then use him to record the truth of this letter so that more than 2,000 years later, we too may become a people, even in the worst of times, that live and move and have our being in the living hope that is Christ Jesus himself, our precious Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Like most of you, I have so many heroes of the faith recorded in God's Word. Their great faithfulness, their deep teaching, both instruct and convict me. There's Moses, the deliverer, David, the Christ-like king of Israel. There's the bold prophets of God, 
And then, of course, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who willingly paid the high price of discipleship. There's the greatest theologian of all time, the Apostle Paul. And I confess that my own faith is more and more thoroughly grounded in the amazing theology of a book like Paul's Epistle to the Romans, the Magna Carta of the Christian life. These great men and some great women as well in the Bible do set the standard very high for all of us in terms of their fidelity to their God and ours. But if you were to ask me, which one person in the Bible is the one I can identify with the most? It is the fisherman, Peter. Now, he may not appreciate me saying this, but it's his weaknesses. It's his considerable failures. It's his foot-and-mouth disease. It's his inconsistency. It's his deep sorrow for sin that somehow just excites my affection for him. He is still a better man than I will ever be. He did, after all, walk on water. I haven't tried that lately. But I have to tell you, it it was his sinking beneath the waves and his panicked cry for help and the Lord's saving and restoring and, and, and God's persistent, persevering grace with this man. That's what I most identify with in my own not-so-smooth spiritual journey. Thank you, Lord, for giving us, for giving to me the story of Peter. Now, this morning we only intend to introduce the epistle, but the very first words should give us pause, I think, if you know anything at all about Peter. See what it says there at verse 1? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Folks, already I am encouraged. If Peter can become an apostle, then I can at least be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Frankly, if Peter can cuss and spit and deny his own Lord and still become an apostle, may I be so bold as to suggest that that means there's hope for you. Maybe even hope for me. And there is indeed hope. In verse 2, look there. He wishes for us the same grace and peace he himself received from a forgiving, reconciling, reviving Lord Jesus Christ. And as we will see throughout the entire letter, there is always and forever a reason for hope. Because, he tells us, it is a Living hope. It is not hoping in ourselves. It is not hoping in a change of circumstances. 
It is not hoping in the best intentions of our family and friends. But see it there in verse 3. It is a living hope. It is a hope personified. It is our living hope in the best of times, in the worst of times. This hope is Jesus Himself. And we'll consider verse 3 in more detail next week, but let's read it now. Uh, This is such good news for a new year. We cannot wait to proclaim it. We cannot afford to wait another week. Verse 3. Look at every word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. I think that says something about How great our sins. That according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope. And that hope finds its ground. That hope finds its source in this. It says, through the resurrection Of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. There is always a reason for hope. Even in the worst of times. Do you see it then? What is the most important thing you need to know as you face the uncertainty of any new year? Of any new day, I declare to you that only one thing matters. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? If, as Peter says, you do believe that, and you believe it because of his great mercy, you believe it because he says he's the one who caused you to be born again then you have an indestructible living hope because Christ, who is our life and who is our hope, is alive forevermore. And while Christ remains upon His throne, no matter how dark the day, no matter what the circumstances would scream, all is well. All is well. When I read back to verse 1 there, if you will, that the Peter I know is an apostle of Jesus Christ, then I have and you have more than enough reason to know that we too can be more a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ this year. Maybe you've already made that resolution. I'm glad it depends on a whole lot more than your willpower or mine. But because Christ lives... And he's promised to complete that work which he has begun in us. So that while, like Peter, I may fall, I may fumble, I may sink, I may doubt, I may deny, yes, I may even sin. I know that my living hope in a living Savior, I know he is praying for me and for you. The same prayer he prayed for Peter when Jesus said to him, Peter, 
Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Now, what if that's the devil's agenda for you? What if that's his resolution for 2010? Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. This fisherman's faith did not fail. But I say for only one reason. And he tells us, Peter knew himself to be among the elect of God. This is the language. Look at the next phrase there in verse 1. It's as instructive as the first phrase. Peter is writing to fellow believers, and here's what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect. The Greek for that term, elect or chosen, can really only mean one thing. Peter is an apostle. These scattered Christians are believers. And if you are a believer too, it is because God, according to His great mercy, caused you to be born again. Did not Jesus make this clear from the beginning of Peter's journey and the journey of the other disciples when he so explicitly said, here you go, folks, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. John 15 and verse 16. Later, the theologian Paul also made it certain that God alone takes the initiative in every man, every woman, every boy and girl's salvation. What Peter and Paul call the elect, the chosen of God. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. It's almost identical language to that of Peter's, though it is Paul writing. Paul says, God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you see that, that God is the author of salvation? God is the cause of your new life in Him. This is the beginning the ground of a hope that is certain. We do well to remember the way the Apostle John put it, unless there is any remaining doubt in any of our minds this morning. John put it this way, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, loved us first so that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take the just punishment for our sins. All of these things are from God. All the apostles and all the Scriptures agree it is being the elect of God and for no other reason than for the glory of His grace to demonstrate the wonders of His mercy that God would choose us in Christ 
And I say to you, unless you can say with conviction, or I would hope at least growing conviction, I would hope that you could say, my hope is built on nothing less, and by the way, folks, and nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And unless you can say that and mean it, well, then you have less than this living hope in the worst of times. So what I'm saying this first Sunday of a new year, and I will continue to say, should the Lord tarry till 2011, <laughs> trust in Christ. Trust in the living Christ. Trust in Christ. Peter says, if you do, hope will arise in your soul. And you'll find that your hope is the living one. Even Jesus himself. Now, a little earlier, I was a little hard on Peter. Peter wasn't always failing. Frankly, I could wish for half of his courage. When at the end of his days, for the very cause of Christ, his dying request, facing martyrdom, facing crucifixion, like his own Savior was hung upon a cross, Peter insisted, please, please, hang me upside down. As if to say, it's only because my Lord was hung right side up have I come this far by faith. I can almost hear Peter saying on that last day on earth, let the roosters crow a thousand times. If I have not denied my Lord this day, it only proves that I was among the chosen. But Peter writes not only of himself, but every believer. Even or especially those scattered by severe persecution, trial, and tribulations of every kind. To be a believer in the first century, as Peter writes this letter, is to risk your very life. And so we read again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, but aliens or exiles... More literally, exiles in or of the dispersion. I'm not going to take the time here to detail this dispersion, this scattering of Christians throughout the known world in the first century. Simply know that it was part of the persecution perpetrated by Rome. But that for Peter, it had a double meaning. It is that all believers, for all time, in every generation, even those living in their native land, now that they know Christ, have become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That city set on a hill. For now, we too are the scattered salt and the light in the city of man. And it is our great privilege to bear up under the hardship of life in a fallen world. Peter's not much like too many modern preachers. He's not going to tell us how to have a great life. In fact, he tells us it's only going to, going to become increasingly difficult. But here's how to live it in such a way that there'll be no mistaking that your living hope is in Christ himself. And by the way that you endure, you will reflect his glory. 
By that you will also help bring new citizens from a kingdom of darkness into Christ's kingdom of light. Much of that witness to the world is that unbelievers would see a living hope in us. And to see it in the worst of times, that they see a living Christ in our loving ways. Now, he mentions the neighborhood, doesn't he? We're only looking at really the first two verses. Some are in Pontus, some in Galatia, some in Cappadocia, some in Asia, some in Bithynia. Inglewood, Venice, Rotonda, Placida or Placida. I've lived here ten years, don't know which it is. Northport. Bless the Lord, we have folks coming as far as Sarasota, north, and all the way from Port Charlotte. We're meant to put our street name and address in the context of this opening greeting. He's saying, believer, wherever you are, whatever is the real turf, that's where you live this out with a living hope. Peter really is saying that God's purpose for his elect is that they live for his glory in the neighborhood. That what you and I feed on here each week, namely his word, becomes the energy, becomes the substance and the truth that we are fleshing out with family, neighbor and friend. And then what do we do? (laughs) We need more about every seven days. We come back again for some Sabbath rest. And encouragement to start the battle all over again each Monday. And then every day of the week as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. A living hope in a real world. A 24-7 authentic Christianity. This is what Peter wants us to experience. And why he prays that we might have this abundance of grace and peace, and hope. Now, next Lord's Day, we will tackle some of these wonderful terms you see there. See them? Like the foreknowledge of God, sanctification of the Spirit, obedience to Jesus Christ. I would suggest we not wait another week to start obeying Jesus Christ. And that we look at the preciousness in this one phrase there. Sprinkling with the blood of Christ. Beloved, these are life-creating. They are life-changing. They are life-energizing. They are hope-producing terms. It is God's Word. For now, I leave you with the words that express, I think, the heart of this beloved fisher of men. I sort of think of it as Peter's prayer for us. One phrase, and it comes at the end of verse 2. In the excellent rendering of the English Standard Version, it records, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Amen. Actually, more literally, May grace and peace, he says in the native Greek tongue, may it be multiplied to you. Now, what a New Year's blessing is that? 
Do you see that God doesn't just add grace to our lives? He certainly never subtracts any grace that he has given. He only multiplies it. This is sort of that Mount Everest of compounding interest. Have you seen what can happen with a little bit of savings that gets interest and then the principal and the interest earn more interest and soon you are amazed to see this multiplication of benefit. It's the very words that Peter's using here. This multiplied grace is abundant, overflowing, superabounding, and reaches to the heights of God's own unconquerable love. It is a love for His elect, a love from everlasting past to everlasting future. Christ, our living hope for 2010. And for the first 2,010 years of eternity. And then add infinity. And if you can, go beyond that. Oh, Father, with a hope like this, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain by trusting You completely, obeying You faithfully, and giving You our very best. Help us then in every hard thing to fear not, to know that with You all things are possible and that we need only to believe in the name of our living hope, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.